But you can remain standing and we'll read the first 11 verses of Psalm 10 and then you can be seated. Again, I'm going to be reading from the New King James Version. Why do you stand afar off, O Lord? Why do you hide in times of trouble? The wicked in his pride persecutes the poor. Let them be caught in the plots which they have devised. For the wicked boasts of his heart's desire. He blesses the greedy and renounces the Lord. The wicked in his proud countenance does not seek God. God is in none of his thoughts. His ways are always prospering. Your judgments are far above, out of his sight. For all his enemies, he sneers at them. He has said in his heart, I shall not be moved. I shall never be in adversity. His mouth is full of cursing and deceit and oppression. Under his tongue is trouble and iniquity. He sits in the lurking places of the villages, in the secret places. He murders the innocent. His eyes are secretly fixed on the helpless. He lies in wait secretly as a lion in his den. He waits He lies in wait to catch the poor. He catches the poor when he draws him into his net. So he crouches, he lies low, that the helpless may fall by his strength. He has said in his heart, God has forgotten. He hides his face. He will never see. And you may be seated. Well, the wicked aren't very nice. That's quite a description. You almost think to yourself, have I ever seen a wicked one? Well, (laughs) I don't say that to myself. (laughs) Why do you stand afar off, O God, when you are mighty? When to you belong wisdom and power and glory, when you alone wield the scepter of justice, why do you stand afar off? How long will you be silent? O you who inhabit eternity, whose name is holy. We cannot know the answer to those questions. Not Specifically, some of the martyrs of the first century church are pictured in the book of Revelations in chapter 6, verses 11 and 12. They're asking this question, how long, O Lord, holy and true, until you judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? They are told to be patient, to wait, both until both the number of their fellow servants and their brethren who would be killed as they were, was completed. Truly God has been sought over the seeming prosperity of the wicked for a very long time. Injustice is a terrible thing. It makes us think that God is far off. We know that our God is a just God. 
We know that he is sovereign. The question naturally arises, God, when your authority is being challenged, when your laws are being flaunted, do you not see? Do you not care? Is not your sovereignty being challenged? And will you do nothing? For those who love law and order, injustice causes a growing sense of discouragement. You may have felt that. Injustice is a source of trouble. It turns the moral order of things upside down. Injustice, in essence, rewards evil while it punishes good. Injustice is a cancer, and it only grows from one stage of ugliness to the next. When and where justice is not rendered, surely wickedness will take over. That was why God gave law. This is what the psalmist saw, and this is what we see all too clearly in our day, in our very nation. Eli, the Old Testament priest and judge, was unjust when it came to restraining his own sons. He didn't restrain their behavior. The two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, For that reason, Hophni and Phinehas became all the more vile. And their actions, their testimony, served to discourage Israel from even bringing their sacrifices to the temple at Shiloh. The boys would just grab the bloody meat. And it offended those who wanted to worship God. As well, it produced an atmosphere, unbelievably, of fornication and adultery at the very entrance to the tabernacle, to the temple grounds. Imagine a nation of Hophni and Phineases who are given to uncontrolled and unpunished fleshly appetites. What do we have? Well, we have a lawless nation that ignores justice. The wicked prowl on every side when vileness is exalted among the sons of men. Let us not kid ourselves. We are living during times of injustice, in times of great iniquity. Our federal government, at the highest level, is governed by very wicked people. They aim to change the times and the seasons, so to speak. They aim to usher in sweeping changes in our culture and not changes for the good. So how are God's people to respond to this rise in evil doing? How are God's people to respond in the midst of a nation where injustice has increased and where wickedness has found fertile ground? How are the people of God to respond when injustice goes unchecked and it's not even restrained? The psalmist lamented with these words, O Lord, if the foundations be destroyed, 
what can the righteous do? Our souls, like the soul of Abraham's nephew Lot, are vexed by seeing and hearing the lawless deeds that they go unpunished. And the pride of the wicked only increases with each successful act of violence against the poor and the weak, and you know that to be true. We see it played out every day. What are God's people to do? These are times that call for prayer. This is what we're to do. These are times that call for prayer from God's people. Our psalmist called upon God in his times of distress, and so must we. It is not a time for hand wringing. It is rather a time for hand raising. Raising up holy hands without wrath or doubting. That is what we are told to do by the Apostle Paul in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 8. And note that this is the same chapter that calls for us to pray for our leaders, for kings, for those who are in authority over us, that we might live quiet and peaceable lives in all godliness. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and to come into the knowledge of the truth. The psalmist's prayer here in Psalm 10 is not to inform God of the current state of affairs. It's not to inform him of the heart of the wicked. God knows these things very well. The psalmist's prayer is meant to inform us. We are to consider what is in the heart of our enemies, the enemies of God so that we are not naive in this conflict of good against evil. Consider then with me some of the statements that we find in Psalm 10. The wicked boasts of his heart's desire, his proud countenance. He does not seek God. Pride produces boastfulness. Spiritual blindness. Pride is the downfall of the wicked. Pride is a vice, and this is a quote from an old godly man. Pride is a vice that clings so tightly to the hearts of men that if one were to strip themselves of every fault, one by one, doubtless they would find pride the very last and the hardest to remove. Pride makes for a stony heart a heart that is very cold towards the things of God. For the sake of pride, the wicked blesses the greedy while renouncing the Lord. Verse 4, the man of pride will not seek after God. The pride of man is the principal reason that men do not seek after God. They have their God. It's themselves. And most assuredly, the pride of man is the reason that men will not seek after God in the way that he has prescribed to be sought after. God is to be sought in humility. He is to be sought most humbly. The scriptures tell us, we Christians, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due season. God is humbling his church. You know, 
Judgment does begin at the house of God. But it doesn't end there. <laughs> Judgment begins at the house of God. And so, perhaps God is humbling his church so that they most, may, will most ably exclaim the word that was given to Zerubbabel by the Lord. We find it in Zechariah 4, verse 6, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. Verse 4, God is in none of the thoughts of the wicked. Who will not read these words and think, sadly, of the godless politicians of our day, they seek none on earth. They see none on earth is greater than themselves, none higher than they are, who think they may prey upon the weak and the poor, just as brute beasts do. Surely the God of heaven is not in all their thoughts. You might just as easily say God is in none of their thoughts. Such ones contrive and plot and form all their actions, never taking God into consideration or consultation. They carry on as if there were no God to whom they will be accountable. And what are we to do when we see their success? Well, we could read Psalm 84, <laughs> find out they're on a slippery slope. Why do you stand afar off, O Lord? Verse 5, the ways of the wicked are always prospering. Your judgments, O God, are far above, out of his sight. On earth, with men, delayed justice is often no justice at all. The once great cities in our land, they crumble in the cesspools of violence and crime because justice is so rarely administered and so lightly administered. The wicked prosper as a result. The wicked go unpunished. And yet, those who respect the law are held in contempt. They're the patsies, made to suffer and to pay for the sins of others. Our wicked rulers promote such lawlessness the great leveling bar of God's judgments is far above them, and they think nothing to be concerned about. These are the ones to whom much has been given and from whom much will be required at God's appointed time. The ungodly ones do not see that in due time God will judge the earth. A wise man once said, Human tribunals must of necessity be prompt and public, commending themselves to fair and speedy judgment. Only then will they be effective. Our Lord's modes of dealing with sin are more fitting and resplendent and apparently more tardy than those of men. Hence, the eyes of godless men cannot see them, and the lowly wits of mere men cannot comprehend them. 
If God sat in the gate of every town and village of this country to hold His court there, even fools might discern His righteousness and the certainty and the severity of His judgments. But God's justice remains hidden from wicked men. And why? So that they may be taken in their folly suddenly so that they may receive the rewards of justice before the highest court, the court of heaven itself. This is a far more sobering and everlasting matter. The wicked do not go unpunished. Verse 6, He says in his heart, I shall not be moved. I shall never be in adversity. The wicked man in his own is wise in his own conceits. He sees no adversity. He hears no threatenings. He mistakes the aromas around him for the smells of peace. Yet the scriptures are there to warn such a man as this. They see their own kind as but a prey for the skillful hunter. They lurk, they hide. They wait in secret, they stalk, they crouch. They crouch low so that their prey may be unaware of the danger that they are in. The weak and the poor and the innocent, they're taken suddenly. So says this psalm. The wicked pounce, the wicked snare their prey. The wicked fall upon and catch those far more righteous than they are. And he says in his heart, God has forgotten. He hides his face. He will never see. For the wicked, God has forgotten. He's forgotten about entirely. God will never see. This is the mind of the wicked in their blinded estate. They are brazenly forgetful of God. Let the notion of an all-seeing providence, said uh, Charles Spurgeon, let the notion of an all-seeing providence be thrown out by a culture and what will surely follow will be evil ambition and covetousness and neglect of every form of goodness toward men, impatience and distrust, and rising corruption will overcome or overwhelm their human affairs, and every brutish behavior will become as common as dust. And how are the righteous to endure if the foundations of law and order be removed? Therefore we pray as the psalmist prays, and we lift up our voice to heaven and shout. And I pick up the psalm now in verse 12. Arise, O Lord, O God, lift up your hand. Do not forget the humble. Why do the wicked renounce God? He has said in his heart he will not require an account. But you have seen. You observe trouble and grief. 
to repay it by your hand, the helpless commits himself to you. You are the helper of the fatherless. Go break the arm of the wicked and evil man. Seek out his wickedness until you find none. Arise, O God, lift up your hand. Do not forget the humble. It is important to remember this. It is God who judges the wicked. God's people must not fret, and they must not take matters into their own hands. We have a certain stage to play, and on that stage... We do require of those we're overseeing righteousness and justice. But we don't play a large stage, many of us. God's people can't fret. Although the wicked plots against the just, although he gnashes his teeth at the upright, it is God Almighty who in Psalm 34 laughs at the wicked. Why? For he sees that his day is coming. It is our God who will lift up his hand and he will thereby gain the glory when he puts the wicked to shame. God will not forget the cries of the humble. I want you to consider this. Who has the ear of the Almighty? Is it the wicked that the omnipotent one hears? Do the wicked have an advocate in heaven? Oh, no. No, indeed. The wicked have no savior but themselves. And they will not profit against the Lord of heaven. How shall they contend in the day of God's judgment? It will be like the chaff that is driven away by only a small breeze before the face of the Lord, chaff that will be consumed by the brightness of his coming. The wicked may roar like their father, the devil may roar, yet no lasting harm can be done to the righteous. The wicked may be able to huff and puff on this earth, but they can never prevail against the church of God's beloved Son. We are the victors, not they. Should the wicked raise their gaze towards heaven to make some feeble plea, they only will see awaiting them a fearful judgment and uh, a fiery indignation that will quickly devour all those who are foes of our Lord Jesus Christ. However, let the righteous raise their voice toward heaven and they will receive an answer of peace. They will receive an answer of mercy, full and free. They will find grace to help in time of need, as we read in Hebrews chapter 4. Here we find the answer for injustice, and the answer is just this from Psalm 7. My defense is of God who saves the upright in heart. God is a just God, 
And God is angry with the wicked every day. Therefore, I will not fear. I will not take up a lament. I will not complain against my God, even should he choose that I should suffer for a little while. This is what I will do. I will call upon the name of the Lord who is worthy to be praised. So shall I be saved from my enemies. Psalm 18. The proper response to the injustices of this world is to do what the psalmist did. Lift up our voices to God in prayer. The psalmist brought his complaint before him who rules in heaven and on earth. He laid out a case against the foes of righteousness, and so can I. And I will be content that he who searches the hearts of his people is heard. He bottles up our prayers, and that is enough. I will wait and hope upon his providence. I will look to him for my answer, and it will come. He will come, it will come, and will not be delayed. God is not slack concerning his promises. Psalm 10 has a most glorious ending. It is a joyful refrain, God's answer to the prayers of his saints. God's answer to the psalmist. The Lord is king forever and ever. The nations have perished out of the land, the nations of wicked men. Lord, you have heard the desire of the humble. You will prepare their heart. You will cause their ear to hear to do justice to the fatherless and the oppressed, that the man of earth may oppress no more. For you and for me, it is time to take courage. The light never shines so brightly as it does in the gathering darkness. The Lord hears the desire of the humble, As the Apostle Paul exhorted the saints in Rome in the first century, so too the word of God exhorts us in the 21st century. Now it is high time to awake out of sleep, for now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. Arise, O Lord. O God, lift up your hand. Grant courage to your saints and steadfastness in well-doing. Cause us to be diligent, to be found by our Savior in peace, without spot and blameless, considering that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation for those who receive our witness. We shall reap if we faint not. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we do live in sobering times, but there are times when the righteous shine forth like little jewels in neighborhoods and in workplaces. That's what we want to be, those jewels that show forth your excellencies.
There are yet those to be saved. And there are yet those to be strengthened and confirmed in the faith. There are yet those to be sanctified. And so we pray that you'll strengthen us for the work you've set apart for us to do. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.